Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a CC Radio podcast. This episode, I believe, is brought to you by Australian Skies 3. Search for the Min Min. Dojo Media have been kind enough to give us two copies of this to give away to our listeners. So if you want to win a copy, simply jump on our Facebook page and like and share the relevant post for your chance to win. Now, it's worth noting that only 50 physical copies of this have been made, so this is a -a once-in-a-lifetime chance to get your hands on a piece of Australian paranormal history. Thanks, Australian Skies. It was just the most massive thing I've ever seen. I, to tell you the honest truth, I thought, well, we're the only ones left on this planet. Something's happened. We've missed something here. The fear that went in me when I seen it was just, um, like, the feeling. I'd say it was fear, but I've never felt that feeling before in my entire life. It's a weird feeling. Like, you can't explain it when you don't know. You feel like you're being followed, but you don't know what it is. We had two to our right, another one in front of us, another one to the left, and another one just across the road, shaking the daylight out of the tree. All we get was a big red eye. I remember waking up and looking at the end of the bed, and there was a figure there, almost insect-like, and then I blacked out. Welcome to the show, everyone. You are listening to Believe, Paranormal and UFO Radio. My name is Cade Moyer, and thanks for tuning in. If you've had an encounter, get in touch with me. My email address is believe at ccradio.com.au or you can message me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash believe UFO radio. If you enjoy this episode, there are a few things you can do to help the show. Firstly, you can go to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review or you can share the show around social media with your friends and family and that would help us grow. Tonight, I'm joined by Don Mears, the director of Australian Skies 1, 2, and now 3. And what I'm really excited about is this third documentary is about the Min Min Light. And that's a very, very interesting topic on this podcast because it's something that's almost uniquely Australian. And it, it happens in these very interesting and rural areas. But it, start, it seems like it's almost spreading around the country like wildfire, which is really interesting. Don, welcome to the show. Kate, how are you doing? Thank you for having me. Oh, mate, it is fantastic to talk to you again, mate, because I think you have the best job in the world. <laughs> it's it's unusual. It is definitely unusual. So, mate, what got you into the Min Min Light? Because your first two documentaries, um, Australian Skies 1 and 2, they're, and it's, the title says it, it's about aliens, it's about UFOs. So, what led you down the, the Min Min path? I mean, I, I wanted to direct Australian Skies in a way that we covered all unusual sort of uh, things to do with the paranormal and extra special and extra sensory and everything in Australia and, and maybe even abroad at some stage. And the term alien, I mean, even though you'd immediately think it's referencing just like uh, lights in the sky, I just wanted to have it as something unusual or otherworldly. 
And uh, in that regard, I definitely think that um, the Min Min Light hits that purview. And, and what a better way than have something that is uniquely Australian to uh, come under that kind of banner. That's that's a really interesting thing about the Min Min Like is that it seems like it's almost an, an Australian-based phenomena. There's there's things like willow wisps and, and jack-o'-lanterns that happen over in the States, but it's it's almost like those are a different type of – this might be the wrong word, but like almost like a different breed of life. I don't know. I actually – you know what? You, if you've got overseas listeners, I bet you most countries that you are uh, have listeners in – they've probably got something very similar to a Min Min light happening in their country. And that's the weird thing. We thought the same sort of thing, that it was going to be, uh, you know, something that's just Australian. But as we started to look into it, yeah, there, there's a lot of similarities, um, a lot of similarities with a lot of different parts of the world with these lights. And uh, that was one of the interesting things. In the film, we actually go into that with Hestelin and... Uh, the Marfa lights in Texas and places like that. Yeah, and he's actually extremely knowledgeable about, I guess, this phenomenon happening around the world in in its own little different ways. Yeah. Are you talking about the professor? Yes, I am. Yeah, well, you see, when you start digging around with the Min Min lights, I mean, in Australia, and you start doing some research in it, you're going to come across a science paper, the reports of a science paper made by a Professor Pettigrew. And uh, this science paper was released in 2003. And the, the paper's titled uh, Fata Morgana and the Min Min Light. And the paper, the professor suggests that uh, a Min Min Light is no more than a mirage or a Fata Morgana. And a Fata Morgana is a, a type of atmospheric mirage that happens when uh, there's a thing called a temperature inversion that happens. It's basically hot air resting above cold air, and it almost causes like a periscope effect of an image, meaning that if you've got like, say, uh, headlights or say a campfire on the ground, this temperature inversion sort of acts like a periscope and can capture the image and flip it right up into the sky, and it's often inverted. Uh, It can do it vertically, but ironically, it can actually do it also horizontally, and uh, it can go for many, many, many kilometres. and. They've been quite sort of uh, covered and reported on through history. And the professor himself, how he came about writing about the Min Min Light or the Beta Morgana was he was actually out in uh, the uh, Kloncari sort of area. He was out there on an assignment. He was studying uh, leather-winged birds. And uh, this particular night, he had a team of researchers out there and they had a Min Min Light encounter, which absolutely terrified them all. And um, being scientists, you know, um, he had to really try and suss it. He couldn't grapple with it. It was something supernatural happening. And so he went into it and, and spent the next couple of years really researching it and came up with a, a couple of interesting theories and, uh, and was able to actually uh, sort of almost create his own sort of min-min light. Uh, the problem with it, though, is that it's very well documented and he did a fantastic job and the paper's really good. It, it, I don't know if it covers every sighting of the min-min light. And uh, these temperature inversions, they have to happen, they usually happen in winter. 
and that gives you about three months a year. And with climate change, this is, and even the professor will admit this, with climate change, they're happening less and less. And uh, yet we're still having these Min Min Light encounters. And in the film, we, we go into all this, but we also have like a, a counter to it because one of the most amazing Min Min Light encounters that we came across was by Maddie Curro, which was a railway worker. And Maddie had this encounter that lasted for an hour with two other railway workers as witnesses. And this encounter happened at Cloncurry right at Christmas time, which, as we know in Australia, is going to be one of the hottest parts of the year. So that kind of goes against everything that the professor would say a mirage would be. And when you actually do listen to the story of, of Maddie, this is far different than a little light bouncing around on a horizon, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing that the professor does um, in your in your documentary. I've been lucky enough that you gave me a screener of it and I've actually had a, a bit of a sneak peek at this before it's been made available to the public, which um, thank you, by the way. It's uh, no very nice of you. But <laughs> what, what your documentary does is it really does explain that phenomenon in a way that's incredibly easy to understand because – I'm I'm going to be honest. I'm quite a simple man, and when it comes to so am I. I'm a, I'm a simple man as well. So. Yeah, and when it comes to explaining that that phenomenon, it does it in a in a really really fascinating way, and um, without really giving anything away, there's there's ways that you kind of show how it happens as well, which is which is incredible. Oh yeah, I mean, um, you know what? Out in that area, we, the documentary. It takes us on this road trip. Uh, we, we go on a road trip out to a place called Bullia, which is central western Queensland. And it's, uh, I think it's about 200 k's just east of the Northern Territory border. And uh, Bullia is pretty much the last stop, I think, till, till you get onto the Simpson Desert. So it's the last kind of petrol station. And you're really, you're really into no man's land for a long time. Um, and, uh, we go out there because this is where a lot of sightings actually happen of these lights. These lights, to be fair, these lights have been seen all around Australia and they've not just in – we kind of focus on the regional side because I think that's what we'd like to think, but these lights have been seen in suburban areas as well and, I mean, we've just had so many different people from around Australia with their accounts of these lights happening in all different places, not just in the outback. Um, but uh, when you do go out to Bullia, even in the daytime, you see mirages, much like in the old movies, you know, the oasis shimmering in the, in the distance. It's pretty much exactly like that. You see them in the day and at night it gets even more exaggerated and um, partly because uh, darkness doesn't give you the reference points with your eyes uh, the other strange thing out there is just a lack of trees. There's just no trees and it's so flat that uh, that was the other thing that really threw us and you really subconsciously have to come to terms with it is the lack of reference points. And it's very common at night for uh, people to misjudge the distances of lights and headlights and things like that. And um, there are a couple of times that, yeah, we sort of saw that for ourselves. And I could imagine with that city, it's basically, and, and for the listeners who don't know, Bullia is kind of like the, the hot spot for Min Min Lights. If you want to have a Min Min Light encounter, that's where you go. And like you said, they do happen all over Australia, but that seems to be 
basically the the hotspot for this this type of um I guess you could call it a paranormal event because it's it's not really quite known at this stage. I mean, we've we've got um people who have theories about what this might be, but when you hear so many different stories about people's different encounters, it it really makes you wonder what this this type of I guess event could be. And it did, is, yeah, it's weird. Isn't yeah, it? <laughs> it, it really is because I've had people come on the show where a lady who was, and this happened in um, in New South Wales on on the um, on the on a coastal road where she basically got chased by one of these min min lights, and it would go all the way to the the edge of the horizon and then zoom right up to the back of her her car, and it was about the size of a beach ball, and that seems to be the I guess stereotypical size of people who encounter these things is that they're, they're about a beach ball size, which yeah. is, yeah. that's quite large in, in my opinion, because you hear people who encounter orbs and they're, that, you know, they're the size of a golf ball or a tennis ball. But if I saw a giant light that was the size of a beach ball, I'll kind of, kind of crack myself if I, was like, if I was out on a, on a rural road or something like that. Yeah. Especially if it was kind of following you and uh, getting closer and then pulling away and, uh, you know, these things come in very close. I mean, in, in the documentary, Maddie Currow, the railway worker, he got within a metre of one. You know, he, could, he almost was able to reach out and touch it, but it pulled away from him. And there were two other railway workers watching this from different angles as it happened. And this happened at night, you know. Um, it's just a fascinating story. It's really interesting how we, we, we got contacted by Maddie because we were starting to research the Min Min Light and we put out there a post on our Facebook page about the Min Min Light. And um, we had about 3,000 comments, oh, 3,000 or so people with their stories about oh. the Min Min Light, right? Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. It went, it went wild. And uh, we answered a lot of people and we spoke to a lot of people. However, Maddie came through and he was just another responder, another on a public post who just said, yep, I've had an encounter. Now, his encounter happened in 1997. It happened at Christmas time. And Maddie was a, um, he was a supervisor of the Cloncurry train station there or Cloncurry station at the time. And he had two other, and he's doing a night shift. And there were two other railway workers who were with him. And uh, they uh, decided to have a dinner break around nine o'clock. And um, Maddie and one of the other workers decided to go for a drive to look at the Christmas lights that were out and about, you know. And they left one guy back at the station just to look after things. And they went for this drive. And uh, this is when they, the first time they saw the light was up in the sky and they thought it was a helicopter. And uh, but there was no sound, and it was just acting very strange. And uh, they they actually pulled over and got out and had a look at it. And this light was just very bright, and just something about it was n- not right. Obviously, there's no sound, and uh, just didn't look like a helicopter, you know. Um, and so they followed the light. The light descended and led them down to a. Uh, a waterway, Cloncurry, like a, a dam or a creek or something, quite large, a body of water that was off the road. And the light descended into this creek area. And the lads went down there and um, this light was way, sort of knew that they were sort of trying to find it, you know, and it was getting affected by the headlights. And uh, there was, it was always still a distance away at this stage, but they found it 
down. It had landed, or like hovering down on the other side of this waterway, this creek. And um, it dimmed its light, like it was trying to camouflage itself. And they lost it for a while until their eyes adjusted, and they, and they turned off their headlights sort of thing, and they could sort of see it, that it was uh, making itself almost too dark. And then after they, they turned the lights off and they sort of calmed down and, and they were quiet, it started dim back up again, like a timid animal almost. And the light then came across the water gently and timidly to them. And uh, it was kind of getting closer to them and just sort of, it was almost like the light was watching them and they were watching it. These two guys are absolutely freaking out. And they, they were still in the car at this stage. One guy was trying to hide underneath the dash of the car Whereas Maddie, the driver, he got out and decided, I'm, I'm going to get really close. He got out and walked towards the light and the light came towards him and they both just had a bit of a standoff. Like it was almost like a first encounter kind of a thing, you know, and he put his hand up to it and it came up really close as if sussing him out. And he started playing a bit of a game with it where he'd kind of take a step to the left and then it would take a step, like glide to the left, like mimicking his sort of movement. That's amazing. Yeah, and then he and so his other workmates watching this absolutely freaking out. They decided, look, Maddie and his foresight uh, decided he got back and, and got on the radio and decided, look, I've got to get a third person down here because they're all going to think we're we're just lying and bonkers. So he um, wrote, uh, rang through to the the remaining guy at the station. Said, look, close the station down. I need you to come down here and check this out. And so this other guy came down. The third. Uh, railway worker came in his car now when the car approached to where they were because they gave directions and stuff the light disappeared again like it backed off again went back across the water and tried to hide again by going dark the car pulled up and the mate got out and these two guys running up very excitedly explaining what they'd been seeing <coughs> and um the guy gets out and he was a bit skeptical and uh and sure enough though after they kind of calmed down and they turned all the lights out the light started to come over the water again to them and, uh, you know, all three of them got to witness this. And this third guy had a bit of a religious (laughs) – Maddie goes into it – I think I cut it out of the film because I just didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings. But uh, the guy was uh, had a religious background (laughs) and he started uh, binding it in Jesus' name and thinking it was a bit of a demon or something like oh, wow. that. He, he really started <laughs> freaking out, you know. And so they had to sort of calm him down. It was really, it got really intense, as you can imagine. I mean, that's pretty, that, that's normal. And I think that goes to, later on, it'll go into our conversation about belief systems when you see these things as well. What you believe is going to interpret how you see these lights, you know. And anyway, they, um, it, the lights sort of moved off again. There were railway tracks near this waterway and it kind of made its way up to the, the railway tracks. The two other lads were bickering amongst themselves as to what this could be, whereas Maddie was really engaged with this light. Like he was the one that had gotten the closest to it and really felt the most intrigued by it. So he went after it, like just following it up to the railway lights, uh, up to the railway tracks, you know. And it came up to him one more time. Uh, came to him about chest height, and then he'd raise his hand to it, and then it had just moved just out of his reach. He could almost touch it, but it would just move that much back. And then when he put his hand down, it had just come forward again, you know. Um, he said from that, he was so close to it, he said, well, I, I want to know, what did it look like? Like He said to look at it, it looked like a star. 
It just looked like something from out of the sky had just come to Earth, and that's what a star would look like. And then it was there, hovering there, just out of his reach for a while, as if looking at him for that last moment, and then it just shot off like a bullet and just followed the track works all the way off into the distance and just gone. So he then spent the next half hour with a torch just going up and down the track works, just trying to debunk it, trying to see what it was, but there was no clues or anything like that, and they never saw it again. And uh, by far, what, what happens is because they're railway workers, back then and probably still now, railway workers, especially the train drivers, see these Min Min lights a lot and they have to treat them with a lot of caution and a lot of seriousness, regardless of whatever you believe, if they exist or don't exist or whatever. They have to write a report when they see one, especially when one's travelling near train tracks because there have been times when other uh, Train drivers have almost derailed a train because a Min Min light has been almost mistaken as being an oncoming train that's jumped tracks. Yeah, I'm sure that would cause absolute headaches for, yeah. for like that that part of transport in that in that yep. part of Australia because, like you said earlier, that it's really really easy to lose track of where you are in such an open space, especially at night time. Oh yeah, and at- it would I could imagine it would be quite easy, and because it's so flat and open out there that. If someone has gone off track, because I'm sure there's. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's a lot of dirt roads out that way. Yeah. Not, there'll be probably very minimal uh, minimal bitumen out that way. Yeah. It, it wouldn't surprise me if a car's strayed towards a, a railway line or, or something like that. Or just another train. Perhaps yeah. that's what they fear, another train coming in with a head-on collision with an oncoming train. Like they're in one train, uh, another train, someone's made a mistake and they've put them on the same tracks and they're going to collide, you know, and so they have to report these things. So the boys went back to the their station and Maddie, as being the supervisor, he had to sit down for the next hour and a half to two hours and wrote a five-page report about the Min Min Light encounter. Wow. De- detailing it. Like, I mean, really, like a, almost detailing it in almost a forensic way and um, without any emotion, uh, kept it all very facts, times. It was very concise with his narrative um, and kept his own opinions to the very end uh, and just stated his facts. Um, and he wrote it. And obviously, back in 2019, or when we, uh, 2018, 2019, when he contacted, and that was in 1997, so he kept it. And so when he suddenly somehow came across our Facebook page talking about the Min Min Light and all this sort of stuff, he wrote through and said, look, this is what happened to me briefly, but I have a report. Would you like to see it? So we said, yeah, sure, you know, send it through. And he sent it through, and it was a PDF, and it was amazing. I mean, 
like I said, like, like I just described, very concise, almost forensic in its nature, and uh, just the most detailed sort of report I've read for a long time about, especially to do with something to do with the paranormal, I would say, you know, inverted commas. And we were all blown away. We went, wow, okay. So uh, we got back in contact with him, said, where do you live? Luckily, he was in Queensland. And he wasn't too, he was a couple of hours away from us. So we packed up a crew and we went out there and we interviewed him. And uh, thankfully, Maddie's a very level headed guy. He, he runs a farm and uh, he sat down and uh, ran through his story with us in a very matter of fact way. And uh, just that was almost one of the starting points for us for Search for the Min Min. And, and from there we went, this is interesting. This is something interesting. And, uh, you know, we obviously then went to the professor and we got a point of view from science. What does science come up with with uh, the Min Min lights and the fatal Morgana? And, and, you know, obviously there's a side to it and there's possibly a percentage of these sightings that definitely can be explained as being mirage. I agree. I think there'd be definitely a, a percentage if, you know, that these things could definitely be a mirage or a misidentification. Uh, and then obviously in the film, we do then uh, interview Jamie Leonarda in Sydney. Jamie Leonarda is a media presenter. Uh, he actually used to be the presenter on SBS's movie show after, um, uh, what are the two main presenters that had it for so long? They sort of left, David and uh, I can't remember the lady's name. They left and they brought in a new team. Uh, Jamie used to be the presenter for the movie show there with a couple of other co-presenters on SBS. Um, he's just a guy that why I got in contact with him is because he used to be a journalist or uh, a content creator for the ABC and he did a audio documentary called Catch a Falling Star and he did that in 1999 where he uh, took a crew and they set off across the Nullarbor and they were doing a audio documentary for the ABC, funded by the ABC, all about anomalous lights, in particular the Min Min light, but also UFOs and the Knowles case that happened in the Nullarbor. Yeah, right. And he went off and did a whole thing on the Min Min light. And the, the Min Min light, in conjunction with UFO encounters, so from his perspective, I wanted to get his sort of experience of um, people that thought they were dealing with a Min Min light, but in actual fact were having a UFO encounter and vice versa. And so we sat him down. We got his perspective on it to do with the Min Min light, but bringing in from a possible unidentified flying object sort of uh, side of it as well. And that was fascinating as well because he, he had kind of come across Similar things, truck drivers who drive across the Nullarbor and the Knowles case as well, uh, the, very famously got the car got picked up by this very bright light out in the middle of the, the desert, you know, and then dropped in the middle of the night. Um, and he actually went out there and uh, they interviewed a lot of people about these strange lights and strange phenomena. And uh, he was actually able to give, again, uh, another unique pers perspective on this phenomena. You're you're also like a, a key person of interest when it comes to this type of field because you have UFO encounters that are second to none and you've spoken to people who have absolutely fantastic UFO encounters. Do you see a relation between, I guess, UFO encounters or the or the UFO, I guess, 
phenomenon and the men-men line? This is, that's a really, really interesting question. And that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Here's what I think. This is the, I think the men-men line, I think there's a lot of explanations for the min-min light. It's a mystery, and it remains a mystery to a certain degree. Uh, I definitely think that potentially, I I think with Maddie Caro, when you watch the film, you have to you have to watch the film. You have to watch this guy's story. I think Maddie Caro was not having a min-min encounter. He was definitely having something else going on there, which without any more information and without, you know, potentially on the outset, you could sit there and say, yeah, he was having a UFO encounter. And you know what's been weird, Cade, is that um, I've just come back from Bulia where we, we screened the film there and I spent a lot of time. I had Maddie come out and do a talk after the film at Bulia. And I've uh, got to spend a lot of time. We went and had beers afterwards with him and his brother at the pub and uh, a couple of other folks and stuff. And we actually got to sort of do a bit of a debrief with Maddie after all this filming. And uh, he's sort of, he spent years, because he's a country guy, he'd always heard of the Min Min Light. And he'd never really, oh yeah, everyone's heard of a UFO, but you don't think, you think a UFO is like a physical shape. You think it's going to be like a saucer, like a a typical flying saucer sort of shape and you think little green, you know, I mean, people think little green men and all this sort of stuff. And I think Maddie fell into that category. Whereas when what he saw, he just automatically thought, well, I know what a min-min light is. I, I thought I saw a, a min-min light. And that was the perspective that he took. Since him shooting the film with us and doing the interviews, he's he's gone back. He went back to Cloncurry and he actually went back to the area where he had the encounter. And he actually went back and uh, to the water, the waterway, and then went around there and uh, found a lot of interesting things to do with that that have kind of caused him to wonder if what he actually saw was in fact a min min light. It's really weird because his encounter seems to have so much sentience to it in the sense that that light knew what it was doing. It wasn't just a a mindless thing. It wasn't just a, a ball of gas or, or something like that. It was, it was interacting with him. Yeah. Look, and the way he describes it, the, the, the guys were around the light as well. They weren't all clustered together looking at it from one angle. They were almost like 180 degrees around it. One guy on this part, one opposite it, and Maddie right in the middle putting his hand out to it. So do you know what I mean? There was all, they almost had a, a semicircle view of the light as opposed to just being clumped together, looking at it straight on. Yeah. Which sort of, you sit there and you go, okay, that kind of, for me, would cause a mirage. Because a, a mirage is these mirages, when you see them, obviously with Fata Morganas and things like that, there's also a lot of parallax that happens. You know, like your head has to be in a, your head has to be positioned a certain way. And if you move your head, sometimes these lights can just disappear, you know, because. Yeah. It's the illusion sort of, gets destroyed. It, the, the illusion gets destroyed, you know. Um, this wasn't the case with this light. This was always there, even when it dimmed down. And he had some fascinating things. In his report, it was affected by sound. Loud noises startled it. Wow, it was, really? Yeah. It was affected by light, headlights, couldn't handle it. It tried to hide. It camouflaged itself. 
like it was it dimmed itself down to a black thinking that it knew that you couldn't see it but then he sat there's like the predator sort of a thing where he goes no i can still see it it's still there i know it's still there because it's shimmering or it's too dark in that area and then it would come back and goes i knew it was there um there also it it didn't cast a shadow like it didn't cause a big glow around like it didn't cause them to cast a big shadow which in some ways would kind of almost contribute to a mirage effect you know in some ways because it I don't know if much about physics or does that mean it wasn't actually physically right in front of them or because anything physical is going to cast some sort of a shadow or effect of this thing because the brightness, it didn't cast a shadow underneath it, you know? But you know you know what, Don? That that fits really hand in hand with a lot of UFO encounters that I've heard of where it, it's emitting light but it's, it's contained. Yeah. Um, I believe there was like an Oz effect as well where everything just went a little bit weird, you know? Uh, like the atmosphere seemed to change a little bit. Um, it definitely seemed to have a uh, a sentient, like you said, that's a good word, a sentience about it. It seemed to understand. It seemed to be a curious as well. And, uh, I mean, you can probably humanise this and we're probably you could probably argue that we're reading a lot into this, but going on his descriptions, and he did do experiments where he did do the step to the left and then he would step left and, and step to the right. He'd put his hand forward to almost try and touch it, but then it would it would move back, just float back as if to go, yeah, no, no, don't get too close to me. And then when he put his hand down, it would then creep up again, like, like a timid animal, you know. Um, fascinating, fascinating uh, report. Now, because I've made these films and have had the privilege of talking to a lot of people that uh, have had uh, UFO experiences, one of the first questions I said to him that he thought was a bit ludicrous at the time, I said, has anyone in your family ever seen a UFO? Or have they ever had anything like this happen? And uh, he went away after thinking that was a bit of an odd question. And then uh, when we went to Bali and we met up again, that's where he came back and said that he'd been to his father talking about it. And his father, I believe, had seen a similar light in the same area when they were kids. When, when he was a kid, his dad saw a similar light in the sky that came in close to him. Uh, I'm trying to recall if the kids or the family were there. Uh, but I do know that the light came in close and then disappeared, like went away and camouflaged itself, like trying to make itself like a black star or something like that. Oh, wow. So with Matty having, I guess, you well, his family having UFO encounters in the past and him having this potential UFO encounter or Min Min Light encounter, which is probably one of the most incredible encounters I've ever heard when it comes to this, what does that make you think, the, the Min Min Light might be? Uh, I, th- I think on the outset, I, I think we're dealing with different phenomena. I, I think the Min Min Light itself, we're, we're using it as a descriptive term and um, it's almost like a title, whereas we have, we, I think we're discovering that there are these we're using it as a term to describe a strange light that is seen usually out in the regional parts of Australia at ground level. Um, when you see that, you kind of go, what well, was a min-min light? If you see a strange light out in the regional parts of Australia 
and it's up in the sky, it's a UFO encounter. Um, so I sort of wonder if a min min light is almost becoming a title term that we're using that sits above a whole lot of different categories, and we have to actually look at each one of these experiences that someone will report in its own, as opposed to the temptation of just clumping them all together and, and calling it all a min min light or calling it all a ghost, or calling it all a UFO, or calling it all a Fata Morgana or a Mirage. I think that we have to look at each individual sort of encounter on its own merit and then make a decision about it. i tell you what, though. I'll tell you one thing. One of the guys, our DOP, Attila, you're good, you know Attila, right? He's been on yeah, the show yeah, before. Yeah. yeah, Attila was out there. He was my DOP. He's his director of photography out there, and he's helping me film the film and we had some crew and stuff like that. Now I've been on a lot of film things with Attila and done a lot of crazy things with him and, and he's done a lot of crazy things like everything from running around looking for ghosts over to going filming in the middle of Chernobyl with, you know, the whole radiation sort of clickers going off and all that sort of stuff. Um, this was the first time I really saw Attila get terrified. He's a six foot five Hungarian camera guy, he's no nonsense. And it was the first time I really saw him get <laughs> concerned. Yeah, there's and, a and scene I, and in I, this. I wasn't far behind. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's definitely a scene in this where you can tell the tension is high. Yeah. I, I really yeah. don't want to spoil it because it is no. one of the highlights of your of your documentary because it 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 really creeped me out just even watching it, and I couldn't imagine being in that situation myself. Yeah, and uh, luckily we were able to film some things and to get some footage. And uh, yeah, it's probably fortunate. Yeah, it's, it's it's hard to go into. You have to see the film to to understand what we're talking about. But needless to say that regardless of whatever, whatever these things are, they definitely, definitely will put the hairs on your neck and arms up and they will give you the creeps regardless. They are very, they move in a very, obviously an unhuman way, but an unnatural way is what I'm looking for. They move in a very unnatural way and... Uh, yeah, look, I'm I'm probably I'm very pragmatic about it. I'm one of those types of people that I've been in a lot of these scary situations, and the way I deal with it is I often uh, I always just laugh. You know, that's my natural response. Where <laughs> you know, it's all going pear shaped, and I just sit there with a grin and just go, "Oh, this is great." Like, you yeah. know, I love it. You know, <laughs> anything for content, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's not really. It's just my it's just my natural defense mechanism for when it's hitting the fan is just keep a happy face. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, just thinking back to it now, I just it still freaks me out as well. But uh, really, really, it, it, I was really, um, yeah, had to really make sure Attila was cool after that. But uh, yeah, because I mean, Attila's doing the documentary on the Yowie, which is Australia's version of the Bigfoot, which is terrifying in its own. And yeah, I can imagine he's had some pretty hairy run. I know he's had some pretty hairy run-ins. Yeah, and um. To, to see him and how how shook he was in this documentary, I was like, oh, that had to be something, something well, major. This thing came in pretty close, you know, and like I said, when you do see something, uh, I'm not going to go into it. I mean, people have to watch it. It's, it wouldn't do us justice if we were to describe it all anyway, but these things are fairly unnatural. Uh, and you'll even find the professor 
will say the same thing. Even he he will say that a mirage, when you see a mirage or a Fata Morgana min min light, even he, even after convincing himself that what he see, he's seeing is a natural phenomena, still finds it terrifying and he admits that himself on screen as well. So and that's when, fascinating in its you, own right. And it's true. It's true. It's just... And I think it's really important that we say because there are going to be a lot of people who are going to be quite sceptical or, or kind of scientific, and that's fine. And I, we embrace that because, hey, we're all probably in the same boat. But know this, that, yeah, even even um, Professor Pettigrew will, will admits that, yeah, look, even knowing what he knows, he knows that he's a, he's a professor of biology and, you know, he goes, it is still terrifying and very unnatural and uh, will definitely give you the creeps. Well, before I let you shoot off there tonight, what do you what do you think it, it might be? be? Because there's so many different versions of these lights. Like you said, you know, there's UFOs, they're in the sky, min min lights, they seem a little bit lower. Um, there's orbs that are they're still unexplained and they they kind of happen all over the place. And do you think this might be maybe spiritually related to to I guess the to that type of realm? Do you think it might be um the the essence of people? Or, or anything like that? Kate, it could be. It could be. Who knows? You know, until we, uh, until people that are smarter than me can actually run more tests and more experiments and things like that, who knows? Uh, what we, our goal for the film was to first off to find out if they were real. And secondly, we wanted to see if we could see one. And lastly, we wanted to find out if we could see it, could we film it? And I'm happy to say we were actually able to have achieve all those things within the film. And it's absolutely fascinating. And when this, when this episode drops, the, the documentary will actually be available to, um, to purchase. Um, where can people find that one there, Don? This is going to be on all the streaming platforms. So it's going to be on uh, iTunes or Apple movies. It's, it'll be on Amazon, uh, PlayStation, Xbox, Google, all the standard pay-per-view streaming platforms will have it. And that's on the 13th of November in Australia, the 12th of November in the US. And that's going to do it for tonight. And remember, if you have had an encounter, get in touch with me. My email address is believe at ccradio.com.au or you can message me on Facebook and that's facebook.com forward slash believe UFO radio. Until next time, stay safe, and you've been listening to Believe, Australian Paranormal and UFO Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.